Hello and welcome to the Harvest Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We are honored that you would click on this and listen to God's Word preached by one of our elders. At the same time, we strongly affirm the biblical mandate for Christians to be a faithfully active and in-person part of their local church. This sermon cannot and will not replace what a local church can provide to the life of a Christian. That being said, we hope that this sermon challenges and encourages you in your faith and that it builds upon the faithful ministry of your local church. We hope that you enjoy. God bless. Blessed we could go home today. I already heard the gospel many times. Thankful for that. John chapter 1. If you'll turn there with me, John chapter 1, as we are on sermon, I believe number 3 of the Gospel of John, the John's prologue. John's prologue is really like going into a five-star hotel. It's like walking in and the lobby of a five-star hotel is amazing, right? I mean, you think of all the, um, the most amazing hotel you've ever been in, and you just think about the lobby, right? Uh, I think the most fancy thing I've ever been is Holiday Inn Express, but they do have a good lobby. Do have a good lobby at a Holiday Inn Express. Uh, but you should, you should imagine something better than that. Um, but uh, that's kind of what John chapter 1 is. It's the lobby of this amazing, the rest of John, this amazing building, and every room is like a Disney character. Uh, that's probably a bad analogy in the sermon, but uh, anyhow, you know how to, never mind. All right, let's stop there. Um, but... John, you, uh, you get the point. Here we go. Uh, let us start in verse 1, and I want to recap. Our Today we'll be focusing mostly on verses 9 through 13, but I want to recap for us how we got there so far. I was able, privileged to take a Gospel of John class in college, and I think we spent the first out of a, um, you know, 16-week semester, I think we spent 13 in John chapter 1. Uh, we won't do that, uh, maybe. But it, it just shows you how important this uh, prologue is, this chapter 1, really to the whole Bible. It's such an important piece of the canon, and we don't need to rush through it. Um, but um, John didn't, I don't think, intend for his readers to spend all the time on it because he is going to um, unveil all of these terms throughout the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 1. So we know from weeks past that this Word is Jesus Christ. He's going to say in verse 14, this Word became flesh. Uh, it's the glory of the Son, and it's a He. We know He's talking about Jesus Christ. And what we gain from verses 1 and 2, in verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. What we see that He is saying in Verse 1 and 1, that in the beginning, that Jesus is eternal. He goes back before the creation of the world, before the world was. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the world. John is saying before that was this Word, and this Word is Jesus. We said He's eternal. He is an eternal being. He, is, he was with God. You see the first part, the Word was with God. And we took from that this Word with it. This Word is personal. And what we know about Jesus in the, His glory, we taught last week, was that God became man. And He rubbed shoulders with people. And He walked on this earth. So um, Jesus, we know, is eternal God. He's personal. And it says He is the Word was God. We know Jesus is eternal. We know He is divine. That Jesus, in fact, 
Look in verse 3, all things were made through him, that Jesus is the creator. He is the and he's called the word because he reveals God to us. The way you know who God, what God is like, you have to look at Jesus. That, that's what we should do as we go through the Gospel of John together. This is what you should look for every week. You should beg God. God is, we hear from the Gospel of John. Help me see who you are. Because Jesus is the fullness of God. In God, the fullness um, dwells in Christ. And so we should be begging God to show us who he is as we look at the gospel account. When you read the gospel accounts, you should be asking in any part of the Bible, really, but especially in the life of Jesus recorded for us. So, uh, and then we noted uh, the week before that in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago that Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light of the world. And what does that mean? We've talked about that Jesus is pure, that he is very God. You know, light is the purest thing in the world. Um, it, it is untainted. Light is only one thing. It's light. Light doesn't have parts. It is one thing. We talked about how Jesus is God, and therefore he is simple. God is simple. God is spirit. And how powerful light is. We talked about the power of the sun and the power that light gives and the power of Christ, that he is creator. We're going to talk more about that today. And we talked about the constancy of light, how the speed of light never changes, and how Jesus is our solid rock because He never changes. And when He comes into the world, He reveals God, but He also he brings light to certain things. He reveals certain things. And the first thing we, we talked about last week was verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, not the one who wrote the gospel, but John the Baptist. He was a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And we said Jesus bears witness to what all true ministry really is. All true ministry is always witnessing about Christ. It is always at its heart witnessing and showing people who God is in Jesus Christ. So anything in, in life or in church that is not pointing people to who the light is, who Jesus is and what he's done, it, it cannot be called true ministry. Verse 9, the true light is where we want to pick up today. The true light, which gives life to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But of God. So let's start in verse 9. Let's break down verse 9. The true light, speaking of Jesus, gives light to everyone. He was coming into the world. You know, um, sometimes, and I hate to just keep going back next week, but this happens often to me. I don't know about you. If you ever do thing in life, something in life, then you as you go forward, you say, oh, I wish I would have known that, or I wish I would have said that. I think every Sunday I leave thinking, oh, I forgot to say that. Uh, but this week, as I was reading and studying, um, I was like, I, I didn't have this quote I'm about to give you from um, J.C. Ryle. And I read, I was like, oh, I wish I would have had that last week. It's so good. Uh, but J.C. Ryle said this, Christ is to the soul of men what the Son is to the world. Christ is to the soul of men, of mankind, of every man and woman, what the Son is to 
everyone, the physical sun. What does it mean that? Look what John says here. The true light, he gives life to everyone was coming into the world. Uh, up above, he said, in him was life in verse 4. As the physical sun uh, gives life and makes life happen and things grow, you know, us good or bad fishermen know the really good time to go fishing is when there's a full moon because that's when the crawfish are liable to hatch because the moon's out more and things move around more when there's more light, right? And Okay, anyhow, get the point. The sun brings life, but the physical sun. But if anybody has any spiritual life at all in this world, it comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from Jesus Christ. He is the source of life. But He comes to everyone. Do you see that verse 9? The true light, which gives life to everyone. Jesus shines on, as we saw, the poor, the rich, the high, the low, the educated, the uneducated like myself. I mean, He shines on everyone. Now, just like the physical sun shines on everyone in the world. Now, if a person you know, wants to bandage their eyes and not see the light, that doesn't mean the light's not shining on them. If people decide to live in a cave and never come out, it doesn't mean the sun is not shining on them. Okay? He, Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the only Savior of the world. Um, Paul makes this clear that Jesus is the Savior of the world. This is a true and trustworthy saying. If anyone's going to be saved, if anyone's going to have life, it's going to be in Christ. It's going to be in Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. He is the light to everyone. But verse 10 and 11 get me. I mean, um, I want us to see two things, and this might these points may get lost, but just know I'm trying to tell you two things today. I want you to see. As Jesus brought light to what true ministry is, Jesus brings light to the condition of humanity. Okay? Jesus brings light on, he reveals the condition of humanity. And secondly, today I want you to see, he reveals the status or the condition of his people. Really those two things. The condition of humanity and the status or the condition of his people. Okay? Just those two things I want you to see today. In verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. I want you to know that. Paul, I mean, John is stressing this. Who created the world? Jesus Christ created the world. Okay? In Genesis 1, God spoke the world into existence. He said, let it be, and it was, and it was good. John is saying that word that was spoken is Jesus. He is the creator. Nothing was created in verse 3 except that was created through Him. In other words, there's nothing in this world that exists that is created that Jesus Himself did not create. And that also tells us that He's the Creator because Jesus is not in the realm of created things. Sorry, Mormons. Sorry, Jehovah's Witness. Sorry, He's not. Uh, he is in the realm of uncreated things. And there's only one... If you Not to put God in a box. There's only one thing uncreated, and it's God. And Jesus is God. John is stressing that point to us here. But get this. Get the paradox of this statement. Get the irony of this. He who created the world came to the world. He left the ivory chambers of heaven to come down to this world of woe, this darkness. He, to come into a world of darkness. He shines His light. But get this. The world did not know Him. The world did not know Him. Romans 1 tells us that the attributes of God, the divine attributes of God, His eternal power uh, is clearly seen by everyone. It's known by everyone, but yet people do not worship God. You ever heard this question? 
what about the person on that remote island out in the West China Sea that never will hear the gospel? When they die, will they go to heaven or hell? You ever heard that? You ever heard that post? Well, how do you answer that? And, and the, the thought somebody's putting forward with that rejection is, would God punish an innocent person? Let me say this. God will never punish an innocent person. That goes against the very nature of God because God is righteous. God will never punish an innocent person. But here's the point. Here's the problem. There is no innocent people. Romans 1 makes clear. People are without excuse. Every person born on this earth is without excuse because His divine attributes are known to them. The Bible says there's none that seek Him. There's none that want to know Him. There's none righteous, Romans 3. So the point is, God will never condemn a righteous person, but there is none righteous. There is no innocent person. And by the way, Acts 17, Paul makes it very clear. Only people are born where he puts the boundaries. People live only where God puts boundaries. Right? No one, is, no one will stand before God without an excuse. There is enough natural revelation of God in creation to condemn a person, but there's not enough in natural revelation to save a person. Only special revelation in Jesus Christ can save a person. And you're going to see that here. But the irony to think that, here, that Jesus came to, his, to, to the world that He created and it rejected Him. It, it didn't want nothing to do with Him. Um, the idea that people are just waiting around and if somebody would just like mention Jesus or if they could just like hear Jesus, they would jump all over it. They're just waiting for it to come around. It's not true. It's not true. Um, you know, Chris, I was saying a couple of Wednesday night ago when you and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with this couple. I mean, and they were looking at us like we had horns growing out of our head. They're like, you know, and I just got to thinking, you know, you know, and God only knows what seeds were planted. And only God can do, you know, work through that. But I just felt like they weren't even coming close to understanding what we were trying to share with them. And people just, they run from it. They're not waiting to hear it. So friends, who re when you share the gospel and you're trying to win people to Jesus and they reject you, don't get discouraged. Jesus came to the world and the world said, we want nothing to do with you. Jesus himself came. They said, we want nothing to do with you. Okay. Well, nothing to do with you. Um, I, I was at a wedding recently, and you get into some good conversations at weddings. You know, you really do. You ought to go to more. <laughs> Just invite yourself. <laughs> hey, are you getting married soon? When, who, who knows the wedding I need to go to? I mean, you get some good conversations. I was sat beside this guy and got to talking with him, and I knew I knew of him previously, and so we were kind of getting to know each other, and we got to talk about theology, of course, and, and um, we got to talk about sin and, and all different things and the Anyhow, he's telling me he had a buddy who was Roman Catholic, and I was like, well, we need to pray for him because if he actually believes in Roman Catholicism, he's not a Christian. He goes, well, yeah, he's a Christian, and he believes in Roman Catholicism. I'm like, brother, he's not if he actually believes it. And so anyhow, we had this conversation, and, and I said, and we were gotten into sin and the doctrine of, of sin, and um, he said, you know, uh, I said, here's the deal, man. The Bible's clear. Nobody, can, nobody comes to God because nobody wants to. They reject him. They're in darkness. And he said, well, I don't believe that. He said, you know what I pray? I pray that God would just reveal himself to people. And I'll be honest, I'd be guilty of that. I don't know how many times in public I prayed, God, reveal yourself to lost people. But here's the deal, friend. That's not enough. Jesus revealed God to the whole world. And the whole world said, now nah, we'll pass. That's what he, did you read verse 10? He came to the world. The world didn't know him. And not only that, let me tell you what else blows my mind. Verse 11 is even more. 
making the point. Look at verse 11. He came to his own. He, he wasn't born, Jesus, when God come to earth, he wasn't born in, you know, South Africa. No, he, he wasn't born in Native America. No, he, he was born to God's chosen special people that God had chosen from the world because they were the smallest and the weakest nation, the Jewish nation. They're the ones who had the prophets. They're the ones who had the law. They're the ones who God had sent prophet after prophet. I mean, if anybody should have recognized the Messiah, if anybody should have recognized the Savior, well, maybe that's a bad way to put it because they did recognize him. They knew exactly who he was. That wasn't the problem. Well, Nicodemus in John 3, he comes to him and he goes, Hey, Jesus, we know who you are. We know you're from God because nobody can do what you do. <laughs> nobody can do what you do unless you're God, from God. They knew who he was, but they didn't want him. Do you see? They rejected him. If there's ever a picture of total depravity, and that just simply means the doctrine of total depravity is that everyone born after Adam is born in darkness, born, Ephesians 2, dead in their sins and trespasses, and that they want nothing to do with God. It was this right here. is is that He came to His own people, and His people knew who He was. God in the flesh, the Savior, the Messiah. And they said, no, in fact, we'd rather kill you. In fact, we will kill you. That's exactly what happened. They rejected Him. They rejected him. It's out of hostility. John 6, 44, he says, John says that no one, Jesus said, no one is able to come to me unless the Father, unless the Spirit draws him. Why is it that nobody is able to come? Did the Jewish nation have the opportunity to come to Jesus? Absolutely they did. He's preaching to all of them. Everyone in the world has and had the opportunity to come to Christ. But they can't because they hate Him. Let me tell you why. Look at John chapter 3, verse 19. Turn with me there. John chapter 3, verse 19. i got to tell you this as you flip there. One time I was sitting in a pew just like you. Uh, Sierra, you may remember this. Uh, it was at Pine Grove, and I'm sitting back there. It was, for, it was the first pastor I ever worked for as a youth pastor. Uh, great. Uh, in, mm-hmm. I'm sitting back there, and I'm sitting like back there where Madison is. And all of a sudden, right near the end of a sermon, I don't even know what he, I was a youth guy, you know. And he goes, I think, I think Chris got something to say. I, th- I think Chris got something to say. That makes you a little nervous, don't it? Everybody in here, you think I would, I would never. Actually, I don't know. Just keep you on your toes. I'm not... I'd be like, Madison got something to say. He did that to me. I was like, anybody know what I'm supposed to say? Like, I don't know. It was on the spot on Sunday morning. No, Sarah, you may remember. I, I come up and I'm thinking, I don't know what he wants me to say. I don't even, remember, I don't even know if I was paying attention. You know what I mean? Like that kind of time. So I come up and I'm like, I just read this, what I'm about to read to you. And I think his sermon had nothing to do with this, if I remember right. But I got, at least you remember this. I got, I read verse 19. I get up and I was like, let me just read this verse to you. I don't know why. <laughs> Take it as it is. Here's what it says. And this is the judgment. The light come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hate the light and does not want to come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And then I went and sit down. You're talking about my job. <laughs> I think everybody's like, what's going on around here? You know, I was like, I don't know. He asked me to say something. You know, uh, I had no idea what to say. But there, here's the point I want to make this morning. That's everyone. Who, who, in, who is a sinner? Is the Bible clear who's a sinner in Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Every one of us. In our natural condition, we hate God. Because why? Because our words, our deeds are evil. And we know if we come to God, that our, those deeds will be exposed. And we don't one, we don't want them to be exposed, and we don't want to quit doing them. Uh, Marie was talking today. I was talking about a gentleman I got talked to this week, and we were getting to share the gospel with him, and he was like, I got problems. One, I don't know how Noah and his family populated the earth. I don't, I don't understand why the Bible, I think the Bible is not really, you know, it's man messed it up. And all these objections and all these things. We were talking about this morning. Maria, Maria said, well, the real problem is he didn't want to leave his sin. All those were excuses. And she's exactly right. Um, I don't know how many people when you're talking to them and all the objections they have to Christianity, the bedrock problem is they love their sin. They don't want to come to the light. They, the Bible says every atheist is that way. Every atheist. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Because Romans 1 says they know there's a God. They know that. But they suppress that knowledge because they don't want to give thanks to Him. They want to live how they want to live. And friend, many people today are ready to accept a gospel or a message about Jesus that's preached that says, okay, if Jesus will make me happy and I can keep my sin, I'll, I'll, I'll take that, Jesus. Friend, that's a very popular message today preached. That is not the message of the Bible. and That is not the Christ of the Bible. Because He is the light. When we come to Him, our deeds are exposed. Let me ask you this. What is sin? We've thrown that term around a little bit. What do you think sin is? You know, um, a lot of us, is, as you ask that question, you think about that question, you, you might say, as I would, that sin is transgression against God's law. And that's true. Sin is transgression against God's holy law, but that's really the, the fruit of sin. That's not truly the root of sin. Um, and, and if we're, we're not careful, we can kind of, that's a real too simple of a definition of sin, that it's just the transgression of God's law, because that's just the fruit. That's not the root of what real sin is. Remember, we talked about Genesis when we were Genesis, Genesis 1. God gave Adam and Eve one law, right? It wasn't a moral law like today, like there's moral laws that people of all nations and all the world agree on. Like he didn't say, hey, don't murder your wife. You know, maybe that have been, <laughs> don't murder your husband. That's not what he told him, was it? Hey, don't steal from Eve, Adam. Hey, don't commit adultery. Well, I guess they could. <laughs> uh, he, did, he didn't say that, did he? No. What What did he say? Don't eat of the tree. What's the, <laughs> you know, I, I used to like the theory that all Apple products are from the devil because it's got the bite of the apple, but now I got everything Apple and I love it. Um, but yeah, is uh, is what was the fruit poisonous? No. Why did he say that? Why was it? Don't eat the tree. Simple. I'm God. You're my people. I created you. Do what I say because I said. Because I'm your God. I'm your Lord. Show that. Obey me. Just don't eat the tree. Simple. Not a moral law, just a law. Don't eat the tree. Because the point was, they are His people. Okay. You see, what the, the core of sin is, the root of sin, is that the relationship between a person and God has changed. That they want to be Lord of their own life. They want to be the God of their life. If every heart has a throne, and intentionally the way God created the world, God was to be the Lord on the heart uh, uh of the throne of every heart. Sin says, no, God, I want to be on, th on the throne of my own life. That is the root. That is the root of sin. And the fruit is disobedience. You know, um, 
sin can take many forms. Um, This root of sin can take many forms. Um, I think a good way to test this is how you see sin and really how you see the um, people who are outside of God is when you see lost people doing lost things. Because lost people will do lost things, won't they? That's what lost people do. That's what people outside the kingdom of God do. What do you think? In your mind, when you see sinners being sinners, what goes through your mind and into your heart? Is it this? Oh, look at those sinners over there. I'm glad I'm better than them. Is that what goes through your heart? Let's be honest. Sometimes it, it is mine. And friends, what that is means I'm not fully understanding the gospel. I'm not fully understand what sin truly is because in that idea, sin is just, you know, it's just a transgression of God's law. And I think, and a lot of times I'll be like, yeah, Jeff, but he's a sinner. But I'm better than him. You know why I want to do that? Because I want to feel better about myself. And you see, we're not careful. We can, that can become idolatry. You know where idolatry comes after? It's about self-righteousness. The, the reason people create a God of their own, and by the way, that is so rampant across America, is everybody has their own God. Ask people what they think about God. They come up with their own ideas. Why is that? Why do people come up with their own ideas of God and don't want to look at what the Bible says about who the true God is? Simple as this. Because if I can make a God in my own mind, in my own thought, that God likes the things I like. And the things I do, that God likes. And all of us want to please people. All of us want to do things to please people. And we want to do things to please God. And if I can create a God of my own making, that God likes the things I do. right? And therefore, that God is pleased by me. That's idolatry. Friend, in a, a sense, a sign, friend, that you and I may easily fall into idolatry is how we see lost people when they do lost things. Do we think, oh, I'm so glad I'm better than them. I'm so glad I'm doing better than them. You see, here's what I'm saying is lostness, the kingdom of darkness, can show itself in two ways. It can show itself in the Gentile world who said, I don't want nothing to do with Jesus, but it can also show itself in the religious world. You can cover yourself up with doing all the right things and still God not be the God of your life. Do you see what I'm saying? Here's why I was trying to make the distinction between the fruit of sin and the root of sin. Stay with me. I, I know this may, but I really, I, I come this morning with a burden to warn you. I truly did come with a burden to warn you from this. Maybe you're not a Christian today, and maybe you think you're a Christian because you've fallen into this kind of idolatry. Or Christian, maybe you do follow the Lord, but you're very easily like myself, fall into this. You see, the fruit of sin is disobedience, but the root, the very root of what sin is, is I no longer want God to be the God of my life. I no no longer want Him to be the Lord of my life. So, therefore... If I, I can do that in a couple ways, okay? I can make the God not the Lord of my life in a couple ways. One way, I can just straight up rebel. All right, think about the story of the prodigal son, okay? This is a perfect illustration. I can be the prodigal son. I can say, Dad, give me all the money. I wish you weren't alive. I'm going to go spend it on whores and, and drinking and booze. I'm going to do all those things. I'm just going to rebel and, and just transgress all of it, waste all of it. That's what I'm going to do. That's one way. Another way is the elder brother. The elder brother. What did the elder brother say when the younger, when the prodigal son came home? He goes, Daddy, you're throwing him a party? Are you kidding me? I've been here the whole time. I have been working the whole time. I have never quit doing what you told me to do. Yeah, you've done nothing for me. What was he basing his relationship on? Was what he had done. Who he was. You see, he wanted nothing to do with the father. He wanted the father to recognize him for what he had done. You see, we can, that's the kind of, Christianity we can all fall into is that God will love us and accept us 
based on what we have done. I like what Adrian Rogers used to say, that the worst kind of evil is self-righteousness when it takes the place of the new birth. So if you see yourself, when you see lost people doing lost things, and you think, well, I know I'm better than them. Friend, you need to search yourself. And first you need to see, do I really know what sin is? Because sin is a state of being where God is not the God of your life. He is not the Lord of your life. And you may be trying to do all the religious things. You may be trying to keep the King Commandments, do all the right things, but you're only doing that so He will accept you or He will love you. Friend, that, that's not Christianity. You see, this is, that's what the Jewish people, Jesus came to His own. Were the Jewish people religious? Oh, yes, they were religious. Nicodemus, Great guy. Think about Nicodemus. And John. Well, I know we're not in John chapter 3 yet. I'm kind of cheating, but just think about Nicodemus. One, he's the greatest teacher in Israel. Great guy. He's a winner in life. Everybody thinks good of him, but he's humble. He's a humble guy. He comes to Jesus. He's like, I know nobody else will talk to you, Jesus, but look, man, I, I, I just want to talk to you. Like, humble guy, great guy, a guy you want to have at dinner with. I mean, you want to be friends with. And did Jesus say, you know what, Nicodemus? You're, you're a teacher. You do so good. You're humble. Man, you're just a good guy. You know what? You're in. You're just, cause you're, no. He said, you must be born again. You're in darkness, Nicodemus, just like everybody else in the world. Just like the drunkard in the, in the ditch over there. Just because you're the religious teacher doing all the right things, guess what? You're in darkness as well. Because God is not the Lord of your life either, Nicodemus. You see, that's what sin truly is. That's what darkness is. We can cover that up in many ways. Look in verse 12 with me. He, verse 11, he came to his own, his own people. They did not receive him. Look at verse 12. But to all those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, although all the world is in darkness, and that we talked about, that is the state of the human condition. Though it be religious, though it try to do right things, or it be straight out rebellious, people are in darkness and they're dead in their sins. That is the doctrine of biblical sin. That the light shone in the darkness, verse 5, and the darkness didn't overcome it. That means there are some who did receive Him. The light would not fail. Um, the Word of God will never return void. There are those who receive Him. In church, we all rejoice in that. You know, though we share the gospel as many times as we can, over and over again, and people reject Him over and over again, we must rejoice in what Jesus said. The gates of hell cannot overcome. The gates of hell cannot overcome. To all those who received Him. What does it mean to receive the Lord? Well, it means to grasp Him. It means to have arms open wide. But for one to receive Him, one to, one to grasp Him, to welcome Jesus, they must turn from the darkness. They must come out of the darkness. They must turn from their sins. They must repent, another way to say it. Um, I, I, you know, I really, this is a, a doctrine a lot of us have, have come up against in, in recent months. Um, but I want you to listen to it because it's, it's one I thought died decades ago, but it's resurfaced. And I think it's probably more prevalent than we think. Um, the Bible's clear. and I mean, you just, from cover to cover, one to become a Christian, we're going to see it here, you have to repent and believe. Okay? 
Every person has a responsibility. When you share the gospel with someone, the response, a person to become a child of God, they must receive him and believe. Or another way to say it, John the Baptist will say it over and over in John's gospel, repent and believe. There's a doctrine out there today. There's a preaching out there today that says, if you just say this prayer, if you just receive the forgiveness and the grace of God, you'll become a Christian. In other words, saying this, you don't have to repent. You don't have to turn from your sin. No, 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 no. I've heard people way up in Baptist ladders say something like this. They'll have people who are living in sin, and they'll say, you know what? You can become a Christian. We'll baptize you. You ain't even got to get out of the sin. You can just stay in the sin. That'll happen later. Mm -mm. Bible's clear. Repent and believe. That has to be the, that is the correct response to become a child of God. Repent and believe. You see, if and, and the, what that comes from is people don't understand what sin is. If the real root of sin is Jesus is not Lord of your life, then you to become right, He has to be the Lord of your life. He has to become the Lord of your life. Without repentance, without receiving Him, you can't hold on to the world and to sin and Christ at the same time. It's impossible. And if somebody has sold you that bill of goods, it's a lie. To all who received Him, who believed in His name, what, back in the day, what it meant to believe in somebody's name? It meant to believe in everything they are. Everything they are. And who is Jesus? How many times does he have to say it? He's God. He's creator. He's owner. He's the light. He is the Lord. Romans 10, 9. For all those who believe that God rose Christ from the dead and confess Him as Lord, confess Him as Lord, shall be saved. He must be the Lord of your life. And you must believe. Um, you must believe. He gave the right to become children of God. So there is this subjectiveness, okay? There is this, uh, excuse me, two things about the condition of God's people. One, there is an objective reality, and two, there's a subjective reality. So what do you mean by that? For all those who repented, all those who received and believed in His name, who He was and what He did, they got the right to become children of God. Let me say this. There's also a thought out there. It's kind of this, we're all brothers and sisters, you know, uh, together, no matter if you're a Christian. We're all part of this human race, and that's true. We are, aren't we? We're all, we all are humans. But friends, those who are not Christians, we're not brothers and sisters with them. They are not children of God. In fact, the Bible says they're children of the devil. Though that be a hard truth, it'd be the biblical truth. Jesus said, you're like your father, the devil. But those who repent and believe, what does He give them? He gives them the right to become children before they weren't children of God. But now they have the right. And so objectively, there are things that happen in the Christian's life. One, they have a new status. They are adopted. They have a new inheritance. Um, when that guy was talking to this week about how did Noah's family populate the earth, he was kept wanting to get all of that. I just, I, somewhere I got lost in. And he, but I couldn't help but think about Noah and how Noah, he trusted the Lord, right? He believed in the Lord. He was a righteous man. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And though the whole, the rest of the world rejected Jesus, what did he get? What did Noah inherit? He inherited the whole world, didn't he? He inherited the whole world. Matthew 5 says that the meek will inherit the earth. Friend, we, as we read in Romans 8, are co-heirs with Christ. We are His children. And how did we become that? Objectively, what happened was on the cross, God took, uh, He treated His own righteous Son 
as though he was a criminal, though he was a sinner, as though he was us, he was our substitute, and God placed his righteousness onto our account. There, that is objectively what happened when you and I receive Christ and believe in his name. So there's an objective re- reality to us as Christians, but there's also a subjective reality. In other words, something happens in all of our lives. Verse 13, here it is. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So how did someone become a Christian? In verse 13 and verse 12, they're parallel sentences. Um, Verse 13 says, who were. That's a past tense. This is truth about those who received him and who believed in his name. What? They were born not of blood. That means you didn't become a Christian because your parents were Christians. God has no grandchildren. No one becomes a Christian because they grow up in a Christian household. No one becomes a Christian, though we hope Nate and Emily and have good faith that they will bring Brooks up in the admonition of the Lord. Brooks will not be a Christian because he's brought up in a Christian home. Not born of blood. Your physical blood, no matter how good it is. To Jewish people today, there's also thought out there, all Jewish people today are God's people. That's not true. That's not true. Just because someone's born a Jew, they are not God's people. The, the Romans 8, 9, and 10 are, are very clear. Paul says not all Israel is true Israel. The only those who are born again, only those who trust in Christ and repent of the sins, that is God's people. No matter what ethnicity you're born in. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Not by works. Um, and hopes not to sound like Lutherans, uh, as though we've already quoted Luther today. Um, in, in 1518, um, before Luther really got in trouble and really sparked this thing off. Well, the 95 Thesis uh, in, in 1517 kind of sparked the powder keg for the Reformation. But in 1518, he goes to a debate at Heidelberg, and Luther gets to write out the what is going to be debated. And one of the sentences that he writes out that he wants to be debated is this. The love of God, he says, does not find what is pleasing to it. The love of God creates what is pleasing to it. I'm going to say that again. The love of God does not find what is pleasing to it. That's how our love works. Let me tell you why I love my wife. Because when I look at her, I see beauty. I love her because of who she is. I love her for all the things. When I see her, I love her. That's not how God's love works. God's love doesn't see something and says, oh, I love that because I like it. That's not how God works. God is this is what it means that God is without passions. God creates that which he loves. He creates it. What does that mean, Christians? If God loves you, it's because he gave you the new birth. Not anything you did. Not anything you did. Not any righteous works. Not any church attendance. Not any giving. Not any serving. He gave you the new birth. Look at what it says here. Born not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. Though it is responsibility of every human to repent and believe, and when we share the gospel, that is what we must say. Man must, you must repent and believe. I'm, I want to persuade you to do it. Please repent and believe in Christ or you'll be eternally damned. Please let me persuade you to do that. But friend, all those who do, and if you did this morning, here's what John says. It wasn't your will that did it. You're not the one that decided that. You may have exercised it, but friend, it's not something you had. It's not something you have. Where did it come from? But of God. Let me read that sentence again, verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And let me just finish this morning with this. 
you all believe this. Though you don't, you may say, I don't, let me, you, you may not believe this, but you know this. You know what I'm saying this morning is true. You know that people are in utter darkness and, and there's nothing they can do to be saved. Nothing they can do. But God has to save them, okay? And the only way someone's saved is that God give them the new birth, okay? You know that's true, and let me prove it two ways. I'm quoting J.I. Packer from Evangelism, Sovereignty of God. When you pray for your lost friends, how do you pray for them? Your lost family members. Do you say, God, I hope they'll make the right decision. Oh, God, I hope they'll do the right thing. I hope they'll repent and believe. I hope they... You don't say that. No, you say, God, save them. You say, God, save them, please. Because you know He has to do it. And friend, this morning when you come and you worship, you didn't say, oh God, I, I know, I, I love you, but you know, I'm so glad I, I decided to become a Christian. I'm so glad, I'm really praising me. Nobody's going to get to heaven and say, Woo, I'm glad I decided to come up here and not down there. Nobody's going to say that. Ephesians 2.8, saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see what John's saying here? Not even of your own will did you become a Christian. This morning, listen to this. If you believe this gospel that you heard and sung and are hearing right now, if you believe that gospel, it's because God gave you the new birth. It's nothing you did. Friend, all the more reason to worship and thank Him. Because, friend, you were in darkness, hating God. And you might have shown that in different ways. You know, sometimes you hear a testimony and you're like, man, I was never that bad. <laughs> you ever hear something like that? You're like, man, I, I never do that much drugs. <laughs> you know, like, man, that guy's bad. You know, she's bad. Like, I never did that. Let me tell you, trying to be religious and trying to do enough good things to earn God's love is just as bad. It's just as bad, just as sinful. It's the same darkness. It's the same thing. God is not Lord of your life. So the question is, is He the Lord of your life? The Bible says it's His mercy and patience that draws us to repentance. The Bible's clear that today is the day of salvation. Here's what you must do. Repent and believe. Receive and trust Him this morning. That's something you've never done. And maybe you thought you have because your, your relationship with God is built on all these good works that you're doing, all these good things. If that's you, repent and believe before it's eternally too late. How sad it would be for you to die on your deathbed thinking you're right with God, only to face Him face to face and Him say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Because you were basing your relationship with Him on your good works and what you had done. Repent and believe in Christ. Trust Him. Venture on Him wholly. Venture on Him wholly. Christian today, Maybe you forgot this simple truth of the gospel. How humbling it is. How humbling it is. Now your sin can break your communion with Him. But friend, if you're in union with Him, it is monergistic. It's everything He done. At the end of the day, if you're still a Christian, it's because He is still saving you and working in your life. You want joy back in your salvation? Get away. You want assurance of your salvation? Get away from trying to put your works into it. And trust Christ and look upon Him, gaze upon Him. Father, how much we need to gaze upon Your Son. Thank You that You've given us this written account so that we can gaze upon it. How much we need to meditate upon what Your salvation is. How Christ is the 
Alpha and the Omega. He, he is the author and finisher of our faith. How much we need to see Him on the cross. How much we need to see His perfect life. We need to see Him born of a virgin. We need to see Him there, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We need to see Him buried. We need to see Him raised again. We need to see Him at Your right hand where He is now. Oh, Father, may our thoughts throughout this week find their place in Christ. We ask it for your glory. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website, harvestbc.church. If you would like to contact us, please email us at contact.harvestbc at gmail.com or you can call us at 706-780-2211. If you are looking for a church home or visiting the North Georgia area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 9.30 in the Fellowship Hall for breakfast and Sunday school, and then at 11 a.m. for our Lord's Day worship service. We hope that you have a great week. God bless.